title of our lesson this morning, what is the next step in God's plan for you? Edwin said that title is a little long, <laughs> may have to condense it, but uh, I'm going to run this by you real quick. Uh, I'll mention this in just a moment, and I'm talking about back in October 2013 when we first came here, and I'll, I'll re- reference that in just a moment, that there was a search, there was an agreement, there was a reconstruction and then the use of this building, and that God has a building project also, which is uh, actually you, me, and, uh, and us. So there's three points we're going to take a look at this morning, and that is the first step in his building project is that we need to see who he is. Secondly, and we need to know he sees you or sees us. And then third step, know his help for us is always right on time. So I'll just pull that first one up, uh, that um, see who he is. Now then, I'll back up for just a second. In uh, October of 2013, there was just a handful of folks that came here to Platte City, and we had, uh, had the intention of starting a church here. Now I want to make a point about that, right? I'll make this clear. We had an intention of starting a church here. Hold that thought. Because this is what follows. So there's this process that begins. And we start to search around for a place. And then after we find the right place, and there is an agreement made in regards to lease, rent, all those kind of things. And then there is a reconstruction, a kind of recreating of that space so that it might be used for what we intended it for. So there's a search. There's an agreement. There's reconstruction. There's use according to the purpose. Follow? Looking for, purchase, recreate, then it serves a purpose. Now, why do I emphasize all that? It's for this reason. The church is not the building. <laughs> we got that? <laughs> so we need to make that point. The church, that's us, is not the building. The church searches for a building, purchases we don't own this, but we own it temporarily because we got a lease on it, right? So the church searches for a building, and then we purchase, and then we recreate, and then it serves a purpose. Got that? So there's a distinction between the church and the building. A lot of times driving down the street, people will look over and they'll say, there's a church. And we say, no, that's not the church. (laughs) That's the building. The people who meet inside there are the church. That's just simply the building. Okay? And so sometimes uh, people will emphasize and they'll say, you know, that really needs to be understood so that people grasp that and all that kind of thing. And, And I would agree fully. You need to make that distinction. And so sometimes that can kind of become confused, maybe not clear in people's minds, and some will emphasize that needs to be taught and all that kind of thing. So I say, okay. Now I want to ask you a question. My son says that sometimes people don't understand my sense of humor. Okay? 
Do any of you ever remember a comedian by the name of Gallagher? Remember him? <laughs> Gallagher had a different kind of perspective on humor. And I remember him saying on one occasion, have you ever thought about what a chair would look like if our knees bent the other way? A little different perspective, right? So as we begin the lesson today, I'm going to ask you kind of a quirky question along those same lines. We emphasize there is a difference between the church and the building, right? The church is not the building, and the building is not the church. Those are two distinct, separate things. But what if the building acted like the church. Think about it. It's Wednesday evening. We all show up out here in the parking lot. And the building's not here. And we go, where's the building? Well, the building called in. The building said, it's just not feeling it this evening. So it's not going to be here. Wait a minute. We searched for that, we purchased that, we recreated that so that it might serve a purpose. And now it just calls in and says, I'm not going to be there. Hmm. So it's Sunday morning, and we're all out here in the parking lot, and we say, where's the building? Well, the building called and said, there's a football game today. And it's down at Applebee's eating wings watching the game. <laughs> and we're like, hold it. We searched for, we purchased, we recreated so that it could be used for a purpose. And now it just doesn't show up. In October, this month, we will begin our 10th year, okay, within just a couple weeks. And do you know that every time we've assembled, the building has been here? Isn't that funny? It's never missed one time. It's always served its purpose. And we'd look at that and say, that's a good building. So in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, at about verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, speaking to Christians, you are God's building. He came looking, he found, he purchased, he recreated, so that you, you, me, might serve a purpose. Can we see that? Now my son might say, that's not funny. I thought it was a little quirky. And I think we can make a comparison, can't we? So God has 
a purpose. And there is a process in your life, my life. So that we might fulfill that purpose for which he purchased us. And we might serve him. I want you to think about that. As we take a look at Matthew, the 14th chapter, about verses 22 through 33 this morning. And in order for us to fulfill that purpose, to be all that God intends for us to be, there's a process that we need to work through and that God helps us to work through. And then the first step is that we need to see who he is. Matthew, the 14th chapter, I'm going to read verse 22 through 25. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. So here's this particular occasion. Jesus is with the disciples. He's with the multitude. And then it comes towards evening. Obviously still daylight out. He tells the disciples, get in the boat and head to the other side. He sends the multitude away. And Jesus heads up on the mountain to pray. And then it says that they were out on the water. And the winds was contrary to them. And then Jesus comes walking. But it's much, much later. And we come to understand that because it says it's the fourth watch. Do you know what time the fourth watch would be? That'd be about three o'clock in the morning. So there's several hours that transpire there. So Matthew gives this kind of a list of events and what all is taking place. And so as you look at this, Jesus has sent them out on the water. And there's a storm. And as you continue to read, they are troubled by it. But when they see Jesus come walking to them, now they're the only troubled. Now they're terrified. And they begin to cry out. And then Peter, Jesus answered and says, Be not afraid. Be of good cheer. It is I. And then Peter says, If it's you, tell me to come to you. And so Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat. He's doing just fine for a moment. And then he begins to notice what's going on around him. Takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus does. And then he says, oh, ye of little faith, why did you, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Doubt what? Water's wet? Is that what he doubted? No, he didn't doubt that. It's kind of windy out here? No, he didn't doubt that. What did he doubt? Did he doubt who Jesus was? Did he doubt when Jesus told him to come to him that he could actually come to him? That Jesus could save him? And Jesus says, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And those words that Jesus speaks, they are just pregnant with meaning. And then it says that they get back into the boat and that those who were in the boat now worship him and say, truly, you are the son of God. And that's interesting. You know, um, just prior to this, three of the Gospels, Luke and Matthew, or Luke and Mark and John. I said Luke. <laughs> Scratch that. Matthew, Mark, John <laughs> are the three that record this. But what's interesting is that the others do not mention Peter. Same occasion, but they don't mention Peter. So what's the point? So maybe the point, the real focus of the story is not Peter, but the doubt that he had. And the doubt that they all had. But now when he gets in the boat, now they come and they worship him and they say, truly you are the son of God. Now back up for just a moment. Just prior to this, Jesus has fed the 5,000. Small lad, small boy. He brings five loaves and two fish. And Jesus gets that from him and then he feeds 5,000 people. Now John and Mark add some information for us to this account. John says that after he had done this, they were going to take him by force and make him king. Take him by force and make him king. And Mark says that they had not understood about the loaves because of the hardness of their hearts. And the New America Standard says they hadn't gained any insight. So what's the point? In their spiritual growth, they saw Jesus as a prophet. They saw him as one who could work miracles. But do you know in the Old Testament there were men who were prophets of God that worked miracles? But they weren't God in the flesh. And so Mark records it and he said they had not gained any insight. In other words, they had not reached the conclusion that Jesus was deity. So Jesus needed to take them to the next step. Why? So that they would be able to do the things that he wanted them to do. So that they would be able to become what God intended for them to become. And Jesus knew it was imperative. They had to understand that. So in John 6, it said they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. The multitude wanted to take Jesus by force. Look, this man... Can work miracles. 
Let's take, let's make him, force him to become king, and then we'll get rid of all those Romans, right? And he will be king. Was Jesus going to be a king? Yes, Jesus was going to be a king. But was that the way in which he was going to become king? What Jesus knows is there is no way that he can be king without first going to the cross. They can't just take him, force him. Jesus would not have that crown without that cross. You cannot hijack this plan. And Jesus' disciples are there. And it's like Jesus, time out. (laughs) Well, hold it. You disciples, you didn't gain anything by what you just witnessed. I fed 5,000 people. Five little barley loaves, two small fish. I fed 5,000 people. You still think I'm a prophet. You still think I can work miracles, but you don't see me as deity. And now these people, they don't understand me. They don't understand God's plan. They want to take me by force and make me king. Time out. Get in the boat. Head to the other side. The multitude... It's over, and I'm going to pray. That's what Matthew records for us. Verse 22, he sends them away. Think about that. Tells the disciples, get in the boat and head for the other side. In verse 33, They worship him. And they say, truly, you're the son of God. What happened between verse 22 and verse 33? They're out on the water. They encounter a storm. They are troubled by that. But when they really get troubled, it's at three o'clock in the morning. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And now they're terrified. And Jesus was going to just walk right on by. And Peter says, If it's you, Lord. Because Jesus said, Don't be afraid. It's me. And and Peter says, If it's you, then tell me. And, And he does. And then he sings. And he says, why'd you doubt? Can you see what's going on? Previously, see, their heart was hardened. That's what Mark says. They had not gained anything from seeing Jesus feed 5,000 because their hearts were hardened. Do you think their hearts needed a little softening? Do you think sometimes we fail to see Jesus for who He is and our relationship with Him because our hearts are a little hardened? And what will it take to soften a heart so that you see Jesus for who He is and you see your need for Him and your relationship?
So what would it take for us to really see Jesus? Now stop and back up for just a moment. Had they seen Jesus previously? Matthew, the 11th chapter. It's John the Baptist. He's in prison. Had he seen Jesus previously? Oh yeah, he'd seen him a lot. But now he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for somebody else? And how does Jesus respond? You go back and you tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised. Am I the one? (laughs) You go back and tell John what you see. Can't you see me, John? And so with the disciples, you saw me. You saw all those things. You saw most recently the feeding of 5,000, and yet you've still not gained any insight into who I really am, that I'm deity. You know what one of the qualifications for an apostle was? We studied this, Acts 1, right? (laughs) That they would be with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist. So have they seen Jesus? They've seen Jesus a lot. But they're still not yet to that point where they see him as deity. And so he sends them out into the midst of that storm. Or the storm that comes. Your heart's still a little hard. Maybe a storm will soften your heart. Maybe a storm will make you a little more receptive to the point that he's trying to get across to them. The multitude, they wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force. They didn't understand. Jesus is trying to develop the spiritual insight and growth of his disciples. He can't allow them to get caught up in this worldly way of thinking. And so he sends them away. He gets in the boat. And they say, truly, you are the Son of God. Now they got it. Well, this is Matthew 14. Two chapters later, he will ask them, who am I? Who say, who do you say that I am? Well, the multitudes, they say, well, you may be one of the prophets or you may be Elijah or anything. And Jesus said, but who do you say? And Peter speaks up and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You got it. Now let me tell you, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And what's Peter do? Oh no. <laughs> you see the development? I got to get them to the point where they believe that I'm the Christ, that I am deity, but I also get them to get to a point where they understand the program and how it works. How do you make or how do you become king? It's going to be through that cross. And so they've got to understand the whole program. 
so that their faith is developed in Him and in the plan. So that they can fulfill their purpose. So Jesus separates them from the crowd because they need to see him for who he is and understand his program because Jesus is focused on their spiritual growth and their development. See, because the world oftentimes has a different perspective on what's really important and how God should help them. We've been studying First Kings, right? There's one of the writers that I've been using some of his material from, Dale Ralph Davis, on First Kings. He makes a comment in his commentary on First Kings about how we sometimes relate to God and what's important to us and what's really important to God. And he says, sometimes we get caught up in worldly things. We're thinking about what should I become in life? What kind of career should I have? What kind of house should I buy? What kind of car should I drive? And he said, you know what? We pray about those things. (laughs) Don't we? We pray about that. And he said, you know what God's most concerned about? Not just what you do in your career. Not what car you drive. Not what house you live in. What he's most concerned about is that you don't worship other gods. That you know who he is. That you see him. Clearly see who he is. Because if you clearly see who he is, then you'll follow him. Jesus wants them to clearly see who he is. And then secondly, he wants you to know that he sees you. He sees you. I'm going to turn over to Mark, the sixth chapter. I'm going to read verse 46 through 50. Beginning at verse 46, Mark 6. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Don't miss that. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. He was alone on land. They are there. He is here. Verse 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? They're out there in the middle of the sea. Jesus is back up here on the mountain and it says that He sees them. He knows where they are. He knows what's going on with them. 
He doesn't have to be physically in their presence in order to see them and to know what's going on in their life or in mine and yours. But also we notice that as he comes, three o'clock in the morning, and they're terrified, it said he would have just walked right on by. <laughs> and they cry out. And Jesus says, Be of good cheer, it is I. So Jesus is helping them through all of this to help them to take that next step in their spiritual development. Why do you think he would have just passed on by? But it says they cry out. Maybe it's like this. See, you've seen me before, but you haven't really come to understand. You've seen me before, but maybe you don't really appreciate. You've seen me before, maybe you've kind of ignored. So let's flip that around. This time, I see you, and I'll ignore you. How's that work? Wait a minute. Jesus, I want you to see me. In this storm, I I need you to see me, Jesus. Don't, Don't ignore me. This country, it has been said, is probably one of the worst places on earth from which to enter into eternity and stand before the judgment. You know why? Because we have more accessibility to God's Word than probably anybody. And are the buildings packed to the rafters this morning? No. Why is that? Have they never seen Jesus? Have they never heard of Jesus? Or have they just... Ignored Jesus. (laughs) And in time of trouble, you think he might just walk on by. So what do they do? They cry out. Is Jesus willing to help? God sent his son, didn't he? But will people cry out? Will they call on the Lord? Did you ever notice in the New Testament when it says that those who call on the Lord shall be saved? And sometimes people will just teach, well, you just say Jesus and then you're going to be saved. What did Jesus say about that in the Sermon on the Mount? Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Do you know what it means to call upon the Lord? It means you recognize Him for who He is and who you are and how much you need Him. And now you call. It's not just a magical phrase, Jesus, Jesus, and all of a sudden, no, it's recognizing that need, that relationship. And so Jesus was going to walk right on by and then they cry out. 
And Jesus says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And that phrase is interesting there. Where he says, it is I. Greek. Ego ami. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew phrase from Exodus, the third chapter. When Moses is standing in front of the burning bush and God is going to send him back to Egypt and Moses asks the question, who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am that I am. Tell him, I am sent you. What's Jesus saying? It is I. What was it that he wanted to get them to see? I'm not just a prophet. I am a prophet. I'm not just a miracle worker. I work miracles. I'm deity. This is God in the flesh. And when they cry out, he says, be of good cheer. It is I. It's God. I've come. So Mark says he sees them and they are straining and he will pass them by. But then they cry out realizing how much they need him. And who is it that has come to them capable of saving them that cares for them if they will call on him it is I. Be of good cheer. And so Peter says, as is Peter's nature, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Come in, come. And Peter starts. And he takes his eyes off him and he starts to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You see maybe why Mark and John eliminate Peter from the picture? Because it's directed towards all of them. Why did you doubt who I am? Peter's just kind of the spokesman like he oftentimes is. He's kind of the rambunctious one that kind of takes the lead. But the focus is really on all of them. You need to all understand who I am. And the kind of faith that you ought to have. I've been thinking I would do a lesson on Psalms 91 before long. Well, it's coming. It's probably next week. I'm going to read to you. And the reason is because Psalms 91. I want to read verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Shall... Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. That psalm is about safety in the Lord. That's what it's about. And in the first two verses, it uses four different phrases, terms, as God's names there. He is the Most High. 
He is the Almighty. He is Lord. He is my God. And what the psalmist is doing is he's giving a character description of God. He's the Most High. Elion. Possessor of heaven and earth. He is the one that is over all things in control of all things. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> he walks out there on the water. He is the Almighty. And oftentimes whenever we think about the Almighty, we think about great in strength and in power. But it also includes great in grace. He can see our needs and is willing to provide for our needs. He's almighty. He's the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant name that he uses. He's faithful. You can count on him. And then the psalmist says, he is my God. Elohim. He's my creator. He's eternal. He's the one who is, the one who was, and the one who will be. And he created me. And he watches over me. And so in Matthew 14, verse 31, Jesus says to Peter, Why did you doubt? Don't you know? Who I am. So he wants us to know that he sees us. And then thirdly. Know that his help. Is always on time. Once again back in the gospel of Mark. It's where Jesus comes walking to them. And it's in that fourth watch. It's uh, three o'clock in the morning. And sometimes we look at text like that or we think about the events in our life and so forth and, and sometimes we ask for things and it seems like God delays in giving an answer and do you ever think about why that is <laughs> why, why didn't he just answer when I, when I asked maybe you're not ready maybe you need a storm or two Kind of like the disciples. Their hearts were hardened. And maybe it needs to be softened. Maybe it's like the multitude. And they wanted to take him and make him king by force. And sometimes when we ask, when we pray, are we really seeking to fulfill God's purpose and his will? Or are we thinking about ours? Can we see that? And so maybe sometimes we're just not ready for the answer. And so Jesus waited till three in the morning. And if God delays, there's a reason. Remember John the 11th chapter and Lazarus? He was sick. And they sent for Jesus. Jesus showed up four days later. And by that time, Lazarus is dead. See, they wanted him to come before. In John 11, about 14 and 15, Jesus said, 
This is the reason why I delayed. So that you might believe. Believe what? He can raise you from the dead. That he is the resurrection and the life. See, now you're ready. Joseph in the Old Testament, remember him? Remember how he had those dreams? And he told his dreams to his brothers. And his brothers resented him for it. Oh yeah, I saw the stars. I saw the sheaves. They were bowing down to me. One of these days you guys will serve me. And they hated him and they sold him. (laughs) Into slavery down in Egypt. But God is with him and sustained him. And then in Genesis, the 50th chapter, about verses 19 and 20, his brothers will come because of a famine. And then he'll reveal himself to him. He said, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good that many people might be saved this day. God is the owner of the building. And it's to serve his purpose. So in Mark 6, they didn't understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. So Jesus sent them out on the sea, and then they cry out. And in verse 33, when he gets in the boat, now they worship him. And now they say, truly, you're the Son of God. See, Jesus was just leading them. They were with him. But they weren't getting it. So Jesus led them into a situation that would help them to get it. See, sometimes we forget what's really important. It's like Dale Ralph Davis said. It's a certain house I want. (laughs) It's a certain car I want. It's this and that that I want. And what God wants is for us to see Him and know that He sees us and that His help, it's always right on time. But what's it on time for? So that you can have the house you want? so that you can drive the car you want to drive or so that you will become like his son that's the goal so in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9 Paul says that we are God's building we're a building with a purpose because in verse 16 he will say you are the temple of God a place where God is worshipped A place where God is served. A place that is brought to maturity to bring glory to God. And Jesus wants us to see Him as our God, as our Savior. He wants us to see Him as our Lord and as our King. And He wants us to worship Him and to serve Him knowing As we serve Him, He sees us. And He serves us. 
So let me give you another physical illustration. And we'll close. So did we purchase this building with a purpose in mind? Yeah. And was it recreated so that it could be used according to that purpose or for that use and to fulfill its purpose? Yeah. But do you know from week to week, it serves that purpose, doesn't it? But do you know from week to week, we clean this building? <laughs> you notice that? We came looking for it. We purchased it. Recreated it for a use with a purpose in mind. And still, we have to take care of the thing. <laughs> Can you make the spiritual application? God came looking. He purchased he recreated to use to fulfill a purpose. But he's still going to take care of you. Can we see that? He sees you. You serve him. He serves you. What's the next step in God's plan for you? Where will he lead you to help develop you in your faith and in your purpose of serving Him. Wow, He serves you. That's Matthew 14. I want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here. If we can help you in any way, make your relationship right with the Lord, let us know while together we stand and why we sing.